people along with their family, family members. When I got the note about Yogi Morris's family, I try to pray often for Mrs. Morris's family. Many of them lost and, um, and don't know the condition of this family member. But uh, we do know God saves. I, I tell you right now, I don't see Daniel and Janet Pharaoh in here tonight, but God saves some of the folks in Daniel Pharaoh's home. And uh, he can't stand up and say anymore that I don't have anybody in my family that's, uh, that's saved because he's got some that's born again. And uh, I, I, I really appreciate God doing that for us. Um, Philemon, um, let's just read a few verses and uh, we'll, we'll uh, try to see what we can uh, pull out of these scriptures tonight. Philemon, verse number one, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, and Timothy, our dear brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer, and to beloved Aphia and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in thy house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God, making mention of thee always in my prayers, hearing of thy love and faith which thou hast toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints, that the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed by thee, brother. You know, when you look in this passage, we've seen a variation of people that are here. Onesimus, a servant that is running from his master that obviously he's done something wrong. Paul, a man that God used to write 13 books of the New Testament and an apostle to the Gentiles, and then Philemon, a man of means. And Paul is about to make a plea to this man on behalf of Onesimus. But before he does, there's some things that he gives, almost, if you would, like a gift basket, sort of a, 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 a not just a greeting, but there's several things he gives his direction in verse 3. If you look at that, the first thing he says is grace to you. And I think there's much that we could say about that, but I would say this, none of us would be here tonight were it not for the grace of God. He says grace to you. That is something that you can find throughout the epistles that Paul writes, and there's always grace to you. I think the only three books that that's not in is Timothy, or rather uh, 2 Timothy, Titus, and the book of Galatians. Every other book begins that way. And then he says grace to you and peace from God our Father. Aren't you glad you can have peace that comes from God and not this world? There's a peace that the world is after that they try to find at the bottom of a bottle or in a prescription. But I'm telling you right now, there is a peace that only God can give. There's a peace that passeth all understanding that does not come from a factory and does not come from a prescription. It comes from the hand of God himself. Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'm glad in troublesome times that we have a God that knows how to give peace. So maybe if you could in your mind think about in this basket there is grace and in this little gift basket there is peace. These are things that Paul is putting together in giving or sending to Philemon before he asks what is about to be a very perhaps difficult thing for Philemon to give. And then if you look then in, in verse number 4, I thank my God, making mention of the always in my prayers. There is what I would say appreciation. I thank my God. He's saying for you. There's appreciation in that basket. You know, I think that's remarkable. Paul says, I thank my God. That means he's being thankful in prison. This book was written from prison. He's sitting in a prison cell. 
He's not in a place where he has freedom and he has liberty. He doesn't have a coffee maker he can turn on and an air conditioner he can flip the switch on. He doesn't probably have many of the luxuries and benefits that somebody that was just living in their home in that time would have. And yet, he's not going to allow the circumstances to dictate the inclination of his heart. He's going to be thankful even though he's in prison. And I would say this, the mark of a mature Christian is someone that has learned how to be thankful in everything. In everything. We ought to be a thankful people, shouldn't we? He says, I'm being thankful, but he says, I'm being thankful for you. Look at it. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. He's being thankful for somebody else. He's not being thankful for something he has. He's being thankful for someone else. He's saying, I'm thanking God for you. He's not saying, I'm thanking God what you gave me, what you sent to me. You know, I, he's not saying, I'm, I'm, I'm not thanking God because of what I have received from you. I'm thanking God for you and not what you necessarily sent. In fact, look at it again. I thank my God making mention of the always in my prayers. When he says that, you see that comma at the end? Look at the next three verses. We're not going to cover these tonight. But he makes mention of what he sees in Philemon. Look in verse 5. His love and his faith, not just toward the Lord, but toward the saints. Verse number 6, the communication of his faith. Look at verse 6. Of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You know, if you're not careful, the devil will have you to find every bad thing in someone. He'll have you find every bad thing in a church, every bad thing in your neighborhood, every bad thing in your business. You know, the world, the world is a professional at being able to take and show you what you don't have. I say we ought to step far beyond that. We ought to see what God has given us and be thankful for what we do have. And then look at verse number 7. For we have great joy and consolation in thy love because the bowels of the saints are refreshed in thee, brother. In other words, he's not saying I'm thankful that you are a man of means, that you've got a lot of money to give and you've got a lot of support to give. He's saying I'm thankful for what I see on the inside of you. Do you think we put way too much emphasis on the outside and not enough emphasis on the inside? You know, I, I, I remember an illustration given so many years ago and a man, he had taken a, an engagement ring box and he preached about what's on the inside. And when he opened up that ring box on the inside, there was nothing. But boy, he treated the outside like it was so special. And his point was this, that what's on the outside is not nearly important as what was supposed to be on the inside. And you know what? That new man and that new creature on the inside is a whole lot more important than what's on the outside. And he's saying, I'm being thankful for what I find in you. He is being appreciative. He's sending me a little thank you note ahead of time of what he sees in him. And then look what else he says there in verse number four. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. He's praying in prison. He's praying in prison and he's praying particularly for Philemon. Now, you know, I read a couple of commentaries that made, really took issue with whether or not the word always should be where it's placed, that it needed to be moved around because nobody prays for somebody always. You look at it again. I thank my God making mention of thee always in my prayers. In other words, I just want you to know I'm putting in this gift basket a prayer for you every day. Every day I call your name in prayer. And, and they said, really, it should have been moved to a different place because nobody prays. But if you've got your finger put right there in Philemon, go with me for just a moment to the book of Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 
Colossians 1, 3. Now, I know sometimes what we do, we look at the Bible and say, well, that's just not reasonable and nobody does that, but that doesn't change what the Bible says. What the Bible says is always right. And the Bible says in Colossians 1, verse number 3, now look with me now. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying, can you say the next word for me? Always for you. In other words, I am not limiting my prayer to occasion. I'm praying always for you. You can find the same thing stated in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And then you can even look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. This kind of brings it down just a little bit plainer, a little bit more concisely. Verse number 3. Again, I thank God whom I served from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing... I have remembrance of thee in my prayers. And can you say the next three words? You see what he said? Every night, every day. Hey, how many of you are appreciative of the people that pray for you every night and every day? You're talking about a gift. I've gotten all kinds of gift baskets in my life. I have gone to some, honestly, I went to a church not long ago. The gift basket they gave me could not be carried. It had to be set on a luggage cart and wheeled up to my room. You say, what did you do with that? I ate stuff that I wasn't supposed to. <laughs> Huge. There are times I've gotten things in my, in my gift basket from somebody trying to show their appreciation. And, you know, sometimes there are things in there that make you scratch your head. You know, I've been in some places and they give you a little tide pin so you can get out all the spots on your clothes that you'll spill while you're there. Every now and then I, I'll go to a place and they might have a pack of gum. When a church gives you like a whole packet of gum or a whole packet of mints, you think, you know, is there, is there something that's being stated right here? Am I missing something? I've had all kind of things put in there. But I, I'm going to tell you what, I'd, if, if I had a gift basket and in that gift basket was grace and peace, appreciation and the prayers of saints night and day, I think I'd be happy with that basket. To have somebody calling your name in prayer on a regular basis to be able to do that. Now, I want you to go back to Philemon and I want you to say the main thing that I want to mention tonight that probably is something that you and I, we would probably just take for granted and say, well, okay, I, I, I spoke last time out of Philemon on our church. Not my church, not your church, it's our church. That fellowship throughout the passage. I want you to go back and I want you to look in verse number three. Now, this is important, especially in this book. Verse three, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he is making a very, very important statement to Philemon, a man of means. Grace to you and peace from God our Father. That we have the same Father. Aren't you glad that not only is Jesus your Savior, but God is your Father? I want you to think about that for a minute with me. Go with your mind with me. In the Old Testament, God dealt with the world through one family, the family of Abraham. And when you look at that family of Abraham, God, when Abraham, Abraham had two sons, one Ishmael and one Isaac. But God said, I am not going to pass the blessing to Ishmael. It's going to go from Abraham to Isaac. And then Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. 
And though Esau was the oldest, God said, I'm going to choose Jacob. And so that lineage went down to Jacob. And what you find over and over again in the Old Testament is a phrase that says, the God of our fathers, speaking of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, the emphasis is that the, the people in the Old Testament, their fathers are looking at are the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What gave them standing in the Jewish family, the Hebrew people. And that is the majority of your Old Testament. The majority of your Old Testament from Genesis chapter 12 all the way to Malachi is dealing with one family. It's dealing with the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you weren't part of that family, you know what you were according to Ephesians? You were a stranger. You were an outcast. God gave the oracles to them. He gave them the scriptures. And if you weren't one of those Jewish people, you were a stranger. Now, you could come into that group, but you weren't born into that group because they had a lineage. They could trace their heritage back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the Pharisees had such a hard time with that. When Jesus shows up, they are constantly referring back to Abraham as their father. But you know what you find in the New Testament? You find a whole different family being dealt with. You go from dealing with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I'm getting chill bumps. You go to dealing with Jesus Christ, and now Jesus has a father. And Jesus' father is God Almighty himself. Amen. Jesus was not fathered by Joseph. Jesus was, a, 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 was God in the flesh, but he was, he was uh, a divine being. God was his father. He had not just the nature of man, but the nature of God. He was all God and he was all man. And all I'm saying is that God now is dealing with a whole new set of people that Jesus Christ comes to this earth. And not only, not only is God his father, but he is from the lineage of David. He's from the house of David. And that is emphasized. So now we had Abraham and Isaac and Jacob for much of the Bible as a father. But now, now we have Jesus Christ who claims that God is his father. I think that's interesting. Take your Bible and leave Philemon just a minute. Go to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 2, the first time that we have the words of Jesus recorded or here. Now, that doesn't mean that's the first time he spoke. In fact, the Bible's very clear that if everything he had done was put inside the books, the world couldn't contain them. And, and I'm sure there's so much that he said. But I want you to see the first time that Jesus speaks. Look what he does. Luke chapter 2, verse number 49. Joseph and Mary are looking for him. He's 12 years of age. And the Bible says... And he said to them, How is it that ye sought me? Wished ye not that I must be about my father's business? Do you see that? The first emphasis that Jesus made was, I am here to be about my father's business. Now there stands Joseph, the carpenter. There's Mary, his mother. But what he says is that, listen, I must be about my father's business. I have a bigger purpose here than just building houses and using my hands. I have a father in heaven, and I'm here, and I must be about his business. The first time that he mentions anything in Scripture, it talks about his father. Then look, if you would, at Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, we get to Calvary, and... While we're at Calvary, Jesus Christ hanging there, 
Sorry, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 23. Luke 23, Jesus hanging on the cross. You know what he says while he's hanging there. I'm so glad he said it in verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He called out to his father, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then the last words recorded before he leaves this world, before he dies on the cross rather, Look what the Bible says there in verse number 46. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. The last thing that Jesus says before he ends his earthly life here and lays it down is he's speaking to his father. And I don't know if you get the correlation. He starts out talking about his father's business and he ends his life. His life is ended and he's still talking about his father. You know what I would say? I would say that Jesus wanted to make certain that everybody knew what I'm doing is not for my own self. I'm doing it for my father which sent me. His relationship to God was very important. We believe in the Trinity. We believe the Father, we believe the Son, and we believe the Holy Ghost. We believe these three are one and they're inseparable, but Jesus on the earth is fulfilling a role of the Son of God, and he makes mention of his Father. And so that has changed now from Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, to Jesus and his Father. Well, but I tell you what I'm glad of, turn the page just a little bit to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 11, And he came into his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Boy, now we turn to a completely different subject, don't we? We go from the fathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then Jesus and his father. But now you know what we have? Are you listening to me tonight? Now we have the same father. Now my father is God himself. That's why, look what the Bible says again, that we were born not of blood. In other words, there was nobody that was able because of their physical birth to have access to heaven, nor of the will of the flesh. There was nobody that worked their way into the family of God, nor of the will of man. There was nobody that had somebody confer on them the status of being in God's family. Are you listening to me? But, but of God, we were born of God. Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. And now it shifts from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the fathers there and Jesus and his father. But now you and I, we have the same father Jesus has. Is that settling into your mind at all? That you and I have the same father that Jesus has. I praise the Lord for that. In fact, John chapter 20, go there. I'm going to have a spell tonight. You can have whatever you want to have. I'm just going to get excited about what's in the Bible. You say, we already knew this already. Well, then we ought to act like we know it's in there. It ought to change the way we think and the way we live. The Bible says this in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20. Whoo, amen. Mary is there in the garden, and she doesn't know it's Jesus. And finally, he calls her by name in verse 16. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to, can you say the two words? He said, I got a trip to make to my father. But then look what he says. But go to my brethren. Same family now. You go to my brethren. Now, wait a minute. Peter, James, John, and Andrew, and, and Thomas. No, you go to my brethren. Look what the next phrase says. 
and say unto them, I send unto my Father and, come on now, your Father, to my God and to your God. Do you see that in the Bible? In other words, he's saying, listen, now I just want you to know, I'm going to see my father and you go tell my brethren that my father is their father and my God is their God. Hey, are you listening to me? We got the same father that Jesus had. <laughs> you say, well, my mom and dad, they, they weren't Christians. Hey, they may not have been Christian, but I tell you what, the day you got born again, you got a father that outshines them all. I love my dad. My dad's been in heaven now. I can't believe almost five months he's been in heaven. I know probably what he's doing. There's no telling what he's doing up there. He's having a good time. I don't know if buttermilk's in heaven, but if it is, I'm sure he's asked for some. I love my dad. But you know, in all my love for my dad and everything dad did for me, I'm telling you right now, my dad was not a perfect man, but I, I tell you what I do have. I have a perfect father. I have a perfect father. And that's not just a title. That's not just something that I'm caring about any more than Jesus cared it about. Listen, how many of you believe that God was Jesus' father? Do you believe that? The relationship that they had, that means that you and I, we have that same relationship. I thought about this, and, and I, I want to just say a few things as I don't want to run all night long because, boy, I've got a list. It just keeps going. But if he's my father, you know what my father is? Listen, my father is my protector. I don't know how many of you have ever experienced that, but, uh, you know, there, there might be a conflict between two boys, and, and boy, we get to talking about it, and next thing you know, somebody said to us, yeah, I'm, I'm going to tell my dad about this, and, my, well, I don't care. I'll tell my dad about this. Well, I don't care. My dad got, my dad got more money than you do, and my dad got more money than your dad had. Well, my dad can whip your dad. Well, my dad whip your dad, and boy, I tell you, I, but I'd go to my dad, and I'd tell him, hey, somebody's threatening me or somebody, and I, I, I'm, tell, I, I'm telling you that I trusted my dad to take care of whatever problem there was going on because he's my protector. There's not a man in here that wouldn't protect your family, your children, your grandchildren. Hey, are you listening to me? We have a heavenly father that is our protector. Washington, D.C. is not your protector. So don't get upset about it when they don't have your best interest at heart. That's right. When they do things that are so off the chart about what you think is right and what's in your bed, you don't have to worry about that because they're not your father. God's your father. Amen. Not only is he my protector, but he's also my provider. I never worried about anything. As long as dad was around, everything's taken care of. I was kind of like one of those people. They said, uh, Mom told him, hey, listen, we, we, they wanted something. Said, Mom said, well, we, we don't have any money, enough money for that. And said, oh, yeah, we do. You got a check. Just write a check. We got plenty of money. The idea is that Mom always had money. If there's a checkbook, you always have money. By the way, how many of you know that is not true? <laughs> Neither is it true if you have a credit card, you always have money. But, you know, I never worried about what we were going to eat, how we were going to pay for things, as long as Dad was around. Because mm. as long as Dad was around... He was going to make sure that we got what we needed. And I'm telling you tonight, you have a heavenly father. Are you listening to me? You have a heavenly father that is the provider of what you need. He gives you what you need. And that's not just, a, that's not just some kind of a, a statement, some kind of idiom. It's not just some kind of comforting phrase. I'm telling you, if you need something, if God feeds the birds, don't you think he's going to take care of his children? Amen. He takes care of you. He's your provider. He's your protector. He's also your corrector. 
You ever hear somebody say, well, if I believed in that once saved, always saved, I'd just live however I want to live. Well, that's because you fail to understand that if you're in God's family, he's not going to let you live how you want to live. That's right. That's right. I appreciate my dad. My dad loved me. He provided for me, and he protected me. But every now and then, he'd correct me. Right. He'd let me know what I was doing wrong. And, you know, every now and then, my, 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 my dad, you know, he would uh, he'd get it wrong. Not many times. In fact, I, I, I probably, I came out way to the good on how many times that I didn't get justice and discipline from my dad when I should have gotten it. How many of you think that you probably got a whole lot less than you should have got? Every now and then I, did, I got something I shouldn't get. My nephew's here tonight, and my brother and I got to see him um, when Hannah got married this, this week. Uh, and uh, I can still remember vividly my, back in the day when, you know, you didn't have all the football games on TV, my dad would listen to them on radio. Radio would be about the size of uh, maybe a cereal box turned on its side. And he had that plugged in. He was listening to a ball game. And, and uh, my brother and I, we were just playing. We were doing all kinds of things, and we started, we started going around his, his chair that he had. His, he had a recliner there, and we started, we were going through that tunnel. And, boy, we were having a good time going through that tunnel, and Dad said, now, you boys, y'all quit doing that. You're going to knock that radio over. And sure enough, we went through there and knocked that radio over, and I was the one that came out, and Dad grabbed me up, and he did what a, a corrected father would do. And I, I did what I always did. I was saying I didn't do it. <laughs> I didn't do it, Daddy. I didn't do it. And then, and then about when it was finally over, I looked at him and said, but Daddy, I really didn't do it. And he said, what do you mean? I said, Brent did it. Of course, I know Brent says you blame everything. That ain't true, but he's responsible for enough. <laughs> he did. He is, he's the one that knocked it over. I didn't. Every now and then, Dad got it wrong. Sometimes we get chastened when it's not necessarily our benefit. Are you listening to me tonight? God never makes a mistake when he corrects you. If God corrects you, it's always for your benefit. If, God's, corre if God, God's correction is not to hurt you, it's to help you get to where you need to go. It's to keep the devil from destroying your life. Hey, I'm glad, I'm glad I've got a father that always corrects me when I need that correction. Not only is he my corrector, my provider, my protector, but he is such a loving father. I know that there's all kind of reasons if my dad knew everything about my life, he might doubt sometimes whether or not I was worthy to be loved. Break his heart. I remember breaking his heart when he found out something I'd done one summer in front of the principal of the Christian school that I was going to. Broke his heart. And you know, my, my heavenly father, he sees all those things. But you have a father in heaven that loves you. And you know, are you, hey, are you listening to me? When you don't feel like there's anybody that knows or cares, he cares. He loves you. As good a father as you may have had down here, you've got a father in heaven that absolutely, absolutely loves you. And here's what he's done now. Here's what he's done. Now, I know I closed my Bible. I'm not finished. I'm going to stop doing that because I've noticed when I close my Bible, everybody else does too, Dr. Dakey. Done. Don't check out on me. Understand how important that is in the passage. Now, think with me for a minute. God is allowing Paul, the apostle, to the Gentiles, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a very skillful, educated man when it comes to the Scripture. He's writing a letter to Philemon, 
a man of great means. Enough means to have the church in his house. To have a servant that would run away. And then he includes in that letter Onesimus. Onesimus, a servant that belonged to another man who has taken and done something and, and, and because of it has fled and run. And are you listening? Listen to me. Listen. So what, what's happened is the Holy Ghost has said since Philemon has been born again, Paul, God is your father. Philemon, God is your father. Onesimus, God is your father. They're all on the same level because they have the same father. Couldn't be more different. And yet the Holy Ghost is saying grace to you and peace from God our Father. You know, every now and then when you get cross with somebody in church, you know what I think you ought to remember? We all got the same father. We all got the same father. When maybe you, you're tempted to look condescendingly down at someone or maybe you feel like you have to look up to someone, you know what you probably ought to remember? We all have the same father. All love the same. Praise the Lord. Our father. Little gift basket that God sends to Philemon preparing, preparing for the request that's about to come. I'm glad I have a father in heaven. Amen. Amen. Brother Rolf, you come if you would. I tell you what we'd like to do, Ken, if you'd come to Oregon. We, we, uh, I'll let Brother Roth explain. I'm going to go ahead and get to the altar. Brother Roth, you can come explain about these cards, but I, I would encourage you. You know, he said, I pray day and night. I'm praying for you always. Philemon, you're always in my prayers. I'd encourage you, grab some of those cards tonight. Get to an altar. Maybe get some young men to pass those out. Kevin, maybe some of you guys, if you do that, Brother Mark, if y'all don't mind. And uh, why don't we end the service that way, praying together. Can we do that? If you'd like to come to the altar,